All right, this morning we continue in our series called The Optimist Club. And if you were not able to be here last week, I want to give you a brief summary of the story that we read. It was the story of a great man named Caleb. And this is how his story goes. The people of Israel had been freed from Egypt and were now wandering in the desert. Moses had led them to Sinai and beyond to a place called Kadesh. And Kadesh was on the edge of the promised land that God had promised to give over to the Israelites. When they got to the edge of the promised land at Kadesh, they selected 12 men to go in and scope out the land. Those 12 came back and affirmed the quality of the land, but also re- re- uh, revealed their fears about how impossible they thought it would be to conquer that land. There were giants living there in huge fortified cities. Ten of those men did not believe that Israel could overtake and receive that land, and so they convinced the rest of the Israelites that it couldn't be done. But of the twelve, there were two who refused to doubt God's promises, and those two were Joshua and Caleb. So God sent Israel back into the wilderness for 40 years, and there all those 20 years of age or older who doubted God's promises died, all except Joshua and Caleb. Forty years later, when Israel returned to Kadesh, to the edge of the promised land, Caleb remembered God's promise that he had given through Moses. And so here he is, 85 years old, and this is what he says, I'm just as tough as I was 40 years ago. God made a promise, and he will fulfill it. And so Caleb set out to defeat the three sons of Anak, a tribe of giants. Down they go, and Caleb gets his land. And finally, he finds a husband for his daughter by looking for someone of equal faith, a man who defeats another city of giants, and peace reigns on Caleb and his family. So what did Caleb Caleb teach us last week? A lot, I hope. When faced with overwhelming odds against him and his people at the edge of the promised land, his response was, we can certainly do this. Even at 85 years of age, his faith doesn't sway. It leaves him with this incredible faith-based optimism that we can learn so much from. So here's the question that I want to address with you this morning. Where can true optimism be found? Where can true optimism be found? Caleb did not accomplish what he did with his attitude. There was much more to him than that. Uh, He didn't buy into someone's advice to put on a happy face. He didn't dig deep into his inner optimist and find the perspective that he needed. It wasn't his determination or outlook that brought him to the promised land as one of the only two people to survive the wilderness years. What was it? Where did this perspective come from that nothing is impossible with God? Well, I want to look at three sources of this kind of perspective this morning. And there may be more, but we're going to examine these three this morning. Where can true optimism be found? First of all, optimism can be found within the promises of God. Within the promises of God. There are some promise makers in life that you simply cannot count on. Uh, I am one of them. And I'm going to guess that you are too. Uh, it's hard to always keep your promises. It is. Circumstances change. Resources diminish. Energy and strength have limits. We want so badly to have people count on us. I want my wife and my sons to know that if I say something will happen, it will happen. Uh, I love it when I can look at one of my sons and say, I promise you. And then I deliver. And they see that I've delivered. And that look of admiration that they get on their faces is priceless we live for that as fathers we delivered 
It's a good feeling. When I stood before my wife 16 years ago and made those statements that we call vows, I was not kidding. I was serious about those. I was determined to uphold those for the rest of my life. But then an unkind word passes my lips or an expression of love is not spoken in tough times and I ache over my lack of ability to always keep my promises. There's something very strong in us that wants to believe that promises are kept. That years of broken promises have left us cynical to the point of having little or no faith in the words of our nation's leaders, for example. Sometimes we lose faith even in our closest and dearest friends. There's very little optimism in our lives. But there is one who always, always keeps his promises. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20 says this, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. God's promises come with a guarantee, and the name of that guarantee is Jesus Christ. It's been said that this is the only thing that is impossible for God. He cannot break his promises. Every promise God has made regarding peace, joy, love, goodness, forgiveness, salvation, hope, heaven, all, all have been or will be fulfilled. Not one, not one will ever be broken. Look at Romans 4, verses 20 and 21. This is about Abraham, another member of our Optimist Club. It says, Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. Now, God promised Abraham a son, and Abraham believed him, and it seemed less likely to be realized than probably anything Abraham could think of. Yet he believed that, and that faith is the kind of faith that every one of us ought to be praying for. God keeps his promises. God makes us promises for today. Listen to Isaiah chapter 43, verse 2. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. I will be with you. That's a promise for today. God will be with us no matter what we are facing. We can go through the toughest trials, things that in themselves are so far from God's original creation and design for man, but God will be with us there. Romans 8, 28, well-known verse. And we know that in all things, God works, good, works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. That's a promise. God works for our good. Not everybody's good. Those who love him and who have been called by him in all things we can and should believe that God has our best in mind. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. This is Paul recounting the words that Christ said to him. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. God's grace is sufficient for us. Another promise. As weak as we may seem, we who love Christ have everything that we need in accordance with his perfect and sufficient grace. John 6:35. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. 
Now, Jesus never would have made this statement if he wasn't going to deliver on it. And he has delivered. My spirit is not hungry. My spirit is not thirsty. Because Jesus Christ delivers on his promises. And when I come to him every day, he satisfies. He gives me everything that I need. God has made us promises for today. And he has made us promises for tomorrow. He has made us promises about his character and how he deals with us. Look at Psalm 30, verse 5. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. God's favor is never far from us. We may face his discipline, his transforming work in our lives, and it may be hard and often is, but it will not always be that way. Joy comes in the morning. That's a promise. Paul wrote about the value of the temporary things that we face in life. God promised us through Paul that these things will lead to something greater in the future. 2 Corinthians 4.17 says this, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. That's a promise. Eternal glory awaits, and God has promised us an eternal promised land. This promised land will far surpass the ones that was, was given to the Israelites. One day we will enter into the land promised to us, and it will exceed the very limits of our imaginations. In the book of John, Jesus' words on this promise were recorded, and this is one of my favorite promises of God. Uh, I'd like to train myself to wake up every morning with these words on my mind. John 14, verses 1 and 2. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? What a promise. Jesus is preparing my room for me in my Father's house, and I can't wait to get there. Later on, Christ gave John another picture of what that promised land is going to be like. In Revelation 21, verse 4, John wrote this. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. How many of us need to hold on to that promise right now? Jesus Christ himself is our guarantee that this will be fulfilled. The death, mourning, crying, and pain that we are experiencing right now will come to an end, not just for a while, but forever. There will be no more. Absolutely guaranteed. God has made us promises that he will provide what we need. He has made promises that he will answer our prayers. He has promised that he will remove the obstacles in our lives. He has promised that he will give us the power that we need for life. He has promised to deliver us, to comfort us, to give us peace. He has promised to defeat our enemies, to protect us, to give us a way to escape he has promised that he can be found if sought, that he will forgive our sin, that he will be our strength when we are weak. He has promised us that he will love us unconditionally and pour out his mercy and grace upon us. He has promised us that he has a plan for our lives. So how then shall we live? Optimistically. Because our optimism is grounded in the promises of God, and God does not break his promises. And our response to that reality is to put our faith fully in God. 
Second place in which we can find optimism is within a relationship with God. My wife is amazing. She loves me with all her heart. I know that. Um, She regularly sends me reminders of that while I'm here at the church working. Uh, This is an email that she sent me this Tuesday. So Liam just told me that in school, the teacher is reading the book, Diarrhea of a Wimpy Kid. (laughs) The book is actually called Diary of a Wimpy Kid, if you didn't know that. He heard diarrhea. Then he adds that he is trying hard not to listen because he knows it's going to be disgusting. (laughs) Asher just hit himself in the forehead with a Happy Meal toy announced his woundedness, and then mumbled that I should do something and pointed to his forehead. So I kissed it. He looked at me with disdain and then clearly enunciated his demand. No, scratch it. (laughs) Then she says, I love you, Paul. And we'll be praying 16 years later. And we'll be praying your long day goes well and you are encouraged. I'm so thankful for you for oh so many reasons. You are a delight to me and a happy place for me and the boys. Nushok Seon Lot, which is Willop, and it means we are each other. Kim. Now, I don't read this just to brag. Uh, well, maybe just a little bit. <laughs> She's... She's incredible, and we have a beautiful relationship. God has blessed us by bringing us together, and he expresses his love for us through each other. I love being married, and this is the result. My perspective on marriage is optimistic because my relationship with my wife is good. My perspective on parenting is also optimistic. Why? Because I have a good relationship with my parents, and I have a good relationship with my sons. I'm good friends with my mom and my dad. We truly enjoy each other's company. I tried at one point in my life to create some distance between myself and my parents. Uh, As a clueless young man, I thought it was appropriate to do so at that point in my life. I started going to a different church uh, other than the one that my father pastored, and after trying a few churches, I found myself right back at his church, regretting that I had ever left. I have a good relationship with my parents. And I have a good relationship with my sons. They are genuinely happy to see me. They want to spend time with me, and I want to spend time with them. Uh, Yesterday, we went sledding on two different hills, just for fun, just because. It was such a gorgeous day. To this day, there is nothing that I would rather do with my spare time than stay home with my family. And because I have a good relationship with my parents and a good relationship with my sons, I have an optimistic perspective on parenting. I have an optimistic perspective on ministry because I have a good relationship with my church. I love you guys, and I know that you love me too. You've heard me say that many times in my life I've said I would never be a pastor like my dad. Um, The load he carried as a pastor looked far too heavy for me to even consider. But when you called me last year to become your pastor, there was no hesitation because there was a relationship that already existed between you and me. And I knew that no matter how heavy the load of ministry would get, I would not have to bear it alone. 
My dad has never had to bear his load alone either. And so even after 50 years as a pastor, he still has an optimistic perspective on ministry. So here's the point that I'm trying to make. My perspective on life is optimistic because I have a good relationship with my creator. I know far too many churchgoers who have a very bleak outlook on life they will quickly express the many ways in which life is just not fair for them. At every turn they face, they believe that calamity is just around the corner. Their pessimistic outlook on life is something that they believe they were born with. It's just the way they're wired. And I do not agree with that kind of thinking. And I do not believe that God created us to be pessimistic, to live life as if we've always just been defeated or about to be defeated. And when I hear expressions of pessimism coming from a Christ follower, I have to wonder what their relationship with Jesus Christ is like at that moment. Jesus speaks to us through his words so that his joy may be in us and our joy may be complete. That's from John 15, verse 11. In John 17, 13, he says, I am coming to you now, speaking to his Father. This is in Jesus' prayer. He says, I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they, us, may have the full measure of my joy within them. It has always been Christ's intent that we, his followers, have his joy in us, the very joy that sustained him on the way to the cross, a trial that far exceeds anything you and I will ever face. And listen to what he said about our relationship with him. Until now, this is from John 16, 24, until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. One of the characteristics of our relationship with Christ that Jesus referred to several times is that he is our provider and we can and should ask him for things, for the right things. He said that we're to ask him for faith, for strength, for joy. That's a good relationship with Jesus Christ. We readily acknowledge that we can't do life on our own. And when we finally acknowledge that and come to him for all that we need, we achieve a good relationship with him that leads to us acquiring joy, and that joy leads to an optimistic perspective on life. That leads us right into our third and last point. These were the first two. True optimism can be found within the promises of God. Second one was true optimism can be found within a relationship with God. And the third principle is this. True optimism can be found within our dependence on God. We all face obstacles in life. And right now the pessimists are saying, no, you don't. Only I do. We all do. We all do. Let's look back at our, our Optimist Club president, Caleb. Caleb faced some major setbacks. Here's a man of deep faith that believed what God said, believed his promises, and followed God wholeheartedly. But in spite of that, he, along with the rest of Israel, is sent back into the wilderness by God and endures 40 years there, leaving him at 85, leaving him at 85 years of age when he finally does enter the promised land. And he had every reason to be pessimistic about conquering a land of giants at that age and after 40 years of wandering. Or he could have mustered up some false optimism and believed that if he could survive 40 years in the wilderness, then he can certainly do this. His optimism could have come from a sense of self-righteousness for being one of the only two 
to believe God. But listen to where his optimism came from. When they arrived at the promised land for the first time, this is what he said about conquering the land. The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. He didn't say that he himself would lead them in. He didn't say that Moses would lead them in. He said the Lord would lead them into the land and give it to them. And then upon their second arrival at the promised land, 40 years later, this was his perspective. I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You heard yourself, you yourself heard then that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified, but the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. And although at first it seems like he may be stating his own ability to do this, he makes it clear that it's the Lord's help that will bring him this victory. Caleb did not size up the obstacles faced, that he faced against his own abilities. And I guarantee you that if you measure the obstacles in your life against your own abilities and your own capacity, you will come up pessimistic. But if we, like Caleb, will declare our dependence on God as we face life, an optimistic perspective on life will follow. There's a, a lie circulating out there that I have heard spoken within church walls far too many times. The lie is a misinterpretation of 1 Corinthians 10.13. This is what that verse says. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. And too often, I have heard this verse used to tell people that God will never let you face anything that you can't handle. And the application stops there. And so I've seen many people get discouraged and disillusioned with God because they're facing something that they can't handle. And they're facing it on their own. And they're questioning God's promise to never let them face anything they can't handle. But that's not what he promised. When we're faced with an obstacle in our lives, it will most likely be something that we cannot handle or bear on our own. I believe that's the purpose of obstacles or hardships being allowed in our lives by God. God's desire is for us to depend fully on Him. There is no other way to face life optimistically. Dependence on God is a requirement for an optimistic perspective. Peter gave us a, a great example of this. He's, he's a member of our Optimist Club as well. He and the disciples were in a, a boat on the lake after the feeding of the 5,000, and Jesus comes to them walking on the water, and of course they're completely freaked out. But Christ identifies himself, and Peter is immediately drawn into the display of Christ's power. He sees what Christ is capable of. He wants to draw on that power. And so he asks Jesus to tell him, to come to him on the water. Jesus says, come. And Peter gets out of the boat. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Whoa, hang on a second. <coughs> Whew, had one of those when I woke up this morning. <coughs> Whoa. <coughs> Excuse me. 
Okay, <clears throat> better. Peter is incredibly optimistic at this point. He's going to get out of the boat. He's going to walk on the water. But his optimism does not lie in his own abilities or in his own faith. It lies in his dependence on what Christ can do. And as long as he keeps his eyes on that, he can walk on water. But of course, he doesn't stay focused on Jesus' power. He looks briefly at his own weakness, and down he goes. <clears throat> his perspective changes. Joshua faced Jericho. David faced Goliath. Moses faced the Red Sea. Daniel faced the lions. Jesus Christ faced the cross. And every one of them knew that they could overcome because of their total dependence on God for their lives. The light of their lives shines very brightly for us. Their testimonies to the power of God and his impact on our perspectives. So what is your obstacle? What are you facing in your life right now? How are you facing it? Optimistically? Or are you having a tough time finding optimism in such a dark place? Let the light of faithful lives which have gone before us shine into your darkness and reveal the truth. Next week, we're going to look at some of the ways that we can be that light for other people. Look at optimism. Look for optimism in the promises of God, in your relationships with God, and in your dependence on God. And if you mind those places, you may find what you've been looking for and need to face whatever obstacle stands in front of you. Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing. I'm going to ask the ushers and the worship team if they'll come now. <clears throat> Join me in prayer now as they come. <clears throat> Father, what an amazing thing it is that we can put all of our confidence, all of our dependence, all of our trust in you. And as we come before you this morning, Lord, I want to give all of us an opportunity to address something in our lives that is keeping us from having an optimistic perspective on life. Right now, before the Lord, I want you to just do a little self-examination. If you're not sensing that optimistic perspective on life that we've been talking about, ask yourself what it is. Take a look deep. Is it not there because you're not believing God's promises? Is it not there because your relationship with him is not good? Is it not there because of a lack of dependence on God? Are you trying so hard to do it on your own? I want you to pause and just look at yourself right now and where you're at in life. What's it going to take? It's so a time for you to decide that, yes, God, you will keep your promises and state that to him. 
It's a time for you to work on that relationship, to spend more time with Christ, to talk to him more, to ask him for the things that he wants us to ask him for. It's a time for you to just say, God, I, I can't do this on my own. I want to depend fully on you. Go to him right now with that and deal with it. Don't let anything stand in the way of you being the kind of light that shines from all of these individuals we've been talking about. Nothing should stand in the way of every one of us sending a message to the world that nothing is impossible with God. Father, we come before you now asking for that grace that is sufficient. Asking that you would forgive us for bearing the burden ourselves far too often. Forgive us, Lord, for not engaging in our relationship with Christ, for not inviting him into every corner of our house and in our lives and letting him be a Lord over all. We ask for your forgiveness for not believing your promises, for seeing them and thinking it sounds good, but you can't deliver on that. Father, we know that you can and that you will. And we're asking for your strength to fully depend on you and to walk through life with a relationship with your son that is exactly what you intended it to be. God, we want so badly to see life optimistically, to face the trials that are coming at us and go, no, we can certainly do this. But that's not easy. We're asking for you to bring us to that point. Thank you, Father, that your promises will never let go of us. You have made them fully intentional to keep them, to bless us through them. We come before you now also to say thank you, to say thank you for your promises because every single one that you make is a yes in Jesus Christ. Thank you for that confidence. Thank you for the joy that you desire to bring us. Help us to enter into that joy. Let your joy be complete in us. Praise you for who you are. In Jesus' name.